Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 10 of the GateWorld Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the show again this week. David and I are talking about whispers, and we'll be joined in a few minutes by a very special guest, Tammy Farrar, one of our moderators at GateWorld Forum. We'll also preview our new upcoming interview with Stargate Atlantis actor David Nickel. But first, we'll run down the latest news and special features from GateWorld and the Stargate universe. If you wake up tomorrow in a robotic body, don't say we didn't warn you. The GateWorld podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and I'm again here with Mr. David Reed. David, how you doing? I'm good. We survived to episode 10. Yeah, that's kind of a little landmark, isn't it? Bit of a landmark. We have lots yeah. more Stargate Atlantis this week, and Tammy's coming on the line here in a few minutes. Yeah, she was with us for episode 5, so it's like every every 5 episodes or so. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good stretch. I'm, I'm glad we, uh, we're getting her back now. Let's jump straight into this week's news. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for September 9th, 2008. Major Davis is returning to Stargate with his first appearance on Stargate Atlantis. Sources tell GateWorld actor Colin Cunningham will guest star in the series finale, Enemy at the Gate. Davis first appeared back in Season 2 of SG-1 and has been a recurring face in episodes such as Foothold, Small Victories, and Disclosure. Cunningham declined comment on his involvement in the episode, but he did say he would be delighted and proud to continue on as Major Davis in the exceptional franchise that is Stargate. Well, hopefully Colonel Davis, I, I'm hoping, but uh, Major Davis probably still. Isn't that funny that after 12 years he hasn't been promoted? I wonder if it's just the field guys that get promoted. You know, I was I was reading comments from fans, and they say, you, you know, uh, military men with desk jobs, it's, it's their theory that it takes them longer to get promoted. Hmm. So... That could be. I wonder if that's true. Actor Michael Shanks is getting ready to reprise his role on Burn Notice. He played a burned secret agent named Victor in a recent episode of the USA Network show and will return later in the season. In a recent interview with GateWorld, Shanks told us how happy he is with the character's progression and his story arc so far. Look for this headline at GateWorld.net to read more from Michael and don't miss his appearance on Stargate Atlantis at the end of this month. The replicators return to Atlantis in Ghost in the Machine, scaring up some solid ratings. The episode earned a 1.2 Nielsen rating on August 15th when it was up against the Olympics. This is down just one-tenth of a point from the previous week, which tied the first episode of the season. Gateworld Features Gateworld's new video interview with Chuck Campbell that we told you about in last week's podcast is now online. The actor plays Chuck, the gate room technician on Stargate Atlantis. He talks with GateWorld about sharing responsibility with the new gate technician, Amelia Banks, some of his Season 5 appearances, and more. Look for it now on GateWorld, both in the interviews section and over on our daily streaming video channel, GateWorld Play. In keeping with last Friday's premiere of Whispers... We've also published a brand new interview with guest star Nicole DeBoer. She played Allison Porter in the episode, but you may know her better as Esri Dax from Deep Space Nine or Sarah Bannerman from The Dead Zone. Here's a clip from that interview. 
How did they approach you to get in touch with you about this character? Were they talking about like a, a whole female um, ensemble? What, yeah, what got you interested? Yeah, they were. They, they, I, they called me in to, uh, to read for it, and I actually went in for the character of uh, Major Teldy. And I thought, well, I, I don't know if I really can be right for that or not. I like the character. But then when they watched my tape, they uh, decided, oh, no, there's our there's our porter. We found our porter. So I got an offer, and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Oh, it's for porter. Okay. How does Stargate, with the exposure that you've had, how does that compare to, like, the other sets, the other sci-fi shows that you've worked on? Is it more uh, stressful, less? I mean, uh, what, what yeah, kind of atmosphere? I really liked, um, well, I like the studios that they film at, Bridges and in Vancouver. Yeah. It's a great it's a great place to work. And then just have the casting crew were fabulous. They were having a really good time, you know, which is nice to see after so many years. So it can go either way. It can be a family atmosphere or it can be sort of people get grouchy yeah. and stuff. But it's a really great atmosphere they have over there. The first photos from The Prodigal are now on the site. An old enemy comes knocking in this episode, which is expected to air as number 14 this year. Visit StargateGallery.com to see a dozen pictures from this episode and find out more about it in GateWorld's Stargate Atlantis Season 5 episode guide. This past week we've also added more photos and story details on Inquisition, the clips show that is expected to air next month in the 12th position. And the next interview to hit the site will be David Nickel, who plays Dr. Radek Zelenka on Atlantis. We chatted with David on the set of Ghost in the Machine and again at this month's GateCon convention in Vancouver. The result is an extra-packed conversation in which David talks about this season of the show and how it feels to be wrapping up. Here's an exclusive preview just for podcast listeners. How do you, you put this into words? I mean, it's almost like a grieving process in, in some ways. I, w- I just found out yesterday, for, for one, and uh, I was away the, the day that the announcement was made and we came, into, came on the set and... I thought, wow, this is, uh, I wasn't, you know, wasn't really expecting it. And uh, so, you know, once you sort of go, wow, I can't believe it's over. And I think what happened is that they must have known that this was going to be a, um, going to be the case. And they were waiting on it to wait. I, I, this is a speculation also. They were waiting to get uh, approval for uh, universes and, and, the, and the movie so that they could say, well, we, you know, we have, we're ending this, but we, we have this to, 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 to go to. So that that kind of tempers it, obviously. I mean, there's great hope that uh, there will be something, uh, obviously, for for my character, for everyone yeah. you know and love to do on the uh, on, on on the movie. And yeah. um, you know, who knows? I'm I've as I've, I noticed on the star on the Gateworld link that Nikolai I love this job thing, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which yeah, is like I do. That. I still I I still do. So I'd I'd love to I'd love to continue. But um, it's the reality of TV. You know, we just we move on. You are listening to the Gateworld Podcast. The main discussion. Our main topic of discussion is last week's episode of Stargate Atlantis Whispers. And considering it had uh, very uh, significant uh, involvement with the fairer sex, uh, we elected to bring aboard a member of the fairer sex to help improve the quality of the discussion. And we have back with us once again for her sophomore appearance, Tammy Farrar, moderator of GateWorld Forum. Thank you, Hooray. John. Yay! Thank you for having me back. I appreciate Welcome it. Welcome back. I enjoy yes. it immensely. It's it's nice to to break up the monotony of two boys every once in a while, you know. This is true. You need to bring some intelligence back. Yeah, you gotta give the yeah. people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the show. I've watched it once. Tammy, have you watched it once? I watched it twice. Oh, okay, and Darren watched it twice too. Yep, I watched it twice. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so you should probably keep your mouth shut. I will. I will keep my <laughs> mouth shut. Tammy and I will talk about this week's episode. No, I, I, as Tammy should back me up, I have a lot of things to say about this episode. He actually does. He actually does. At least about the girls. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Whispers was a horror episode, which I don't think Stargate has ever really quite done, at least not quite to this extreme. What do you guys think? Did it did it do well? Was it scary? Did it freak you out? I think we first should catalog the episodes that uh, have tried to do this before, and there's only a handful of them okay. before we go marching into this one. I think the first one was in Season 3 of Stargate SG-1, Legacy, where Daniel sees ghosts That's and true. is actually infected by uh, Michello's uh, little wormy doodads, gold killers technically speaking. In season three of Atlantis, there was also an element of horror uh, with uh, the uh, We're Losing Her Mind episode. Um, help me out with the title. The Real World. The Real, the world. real world. You always forget that one. I think I've corrected you twice now in this podcast alone. For The Real World? For The Real World. Mm. Well, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that one All was right. just sort of a, a psychological unsteady Thank you, Darren. That's, I was just going to say that. But this was well, horror. Whispers was pure, straight-up, evil zombies leaping out of the fog and grabbing you by the throat. Yeah, there was that. There was a zombie element to it. I definitely uh, saw Ring You a lot, and not just because there was a well, but like the movement of, the, of characters up through the well. I was like, okay, that's Samara Morgan. But I appreciated the attempt. Was anyone uh, waiting for brains? <laughs> brains. brains brains okay well i have to fess up here then uh and say i am not a fan of horror the genre in general i don't think i have ever seen a horror movie the closest that i have ever seen to a horror movie would be things like tremors and arachnophobia and that's tremors about, is not horror tremors yeah, is that's about as bad as it gets well i will i will join you darren i am also not a fan uh-huh and now I can I can go a little further. Like I've seen um, Saw, Saw one, two, and three. Ugh. Oh wow! Okay. There's um, no way that I, you can get me near those. Oh well, I'm married because to that's, a horror that's, fanatic. That's gore. You know, th- yeah. there's a difference between horror and gore in my book. You know, I saw pieces of The Hills Have Eyes, hoping for a real psychological thriller, and what mm-hmm. man was that disappointing? Take yeah. the Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead, the old version against the new version. You know, the old mm-hmm. version was psychological and 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 still horror. The new version is just gore. You know. There was no gore in this episode, which I was really, really happy about. I can't imagine that they could do a whole lot of gore and still keep it PG-13 or whatever the show is. I have to agree there. I'm, I'm not a fan, but I did enjoy this. What I really liked about it is, is that they did something new and different. And David and I say this all the time. Stargate's got to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that they tried something in, in a slightly different genre uh, was different. And uh, how many people recognize the village set under all that fog? That was different. Some of us, after how many years has it been now? Three? We're in our fourth year with the village set. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The fog was really cool, I think. It, that was very, very well achieved. And those great, ma- mangled creatures, man. Yeah, great atmosphere here. It was. It was. Although I have to say a few times, it was hard to get into things when you couldn't see anything. Yeah. I think they overdid the fog a couple of times. Um, yeah. Just because it was like, okay, I understand you're trying to do the eerie quality, but. Mm-hmm. 
it almost got the, in the way. Yeah, a couple of times it almost got in the way for me just because you could almost see something moving and the character had to kind of ignore it. And I, you, you could tell they were ignoring it. Oh, you mean like when they're talking and there's and there's a creature that moves in the background? Yeah. You know, I kind of liked that. That was cool, I thought. Well, I thought it was cool when Beckett did it, but not when they were out in the woods. Oh, okay. It caught me one time when that happened. And other than that, you know, I thought a couple, just a couple of times I thought, oh, I wish there wasn't so much fog because I think it would have an eerier quality. Oh, uh, less fog? Being, being... Yeah, just a little bit less. It, you know, it just kind of... That's interesting. It, it made them look too closed in. It but was claustrophobic, I, yeah. I think that was one of the things that they were going for was a really claustrophobic feel to it. Well, then they definitely achieved that. But it, now that, again, I'm being not a horror fan, you know, that might be something that just kind of got, got in the way for me. I certainly like that genre. I like it in doses. I'm a big fan of, uh, like, Event Horizon and oh, the yeah. sci-fi horror aspect, like Alien. I love mm-hmm. Alien, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought the fact that they secrete, the monsters secrete the fog from their necks at the very beginning, I thought that was kind of contrived. They introduced that fact to us pretty early on. But by the end of the episode, I thought that it was pretty cool, frankly. Yeah. Although I thought it was a little quick. I wish I would have seen more about that. I didn't really Mm -hmm. get to see it happening until I watched it the second time. Mm -hmm. I only knew it was happening because Beck had explained it. It kind of made me wonder just what, what is the purpose of their hunting? Because especially when they when they kill Captain Vega, they just she's dead, and then they run away and leave her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder are they, kill are they to hunting kill. to eat? Or are they are they killing to kill? Yeah, I yeah, they didn't explain to, that. Well, I know you had a you know Darren, you had put on here. You know, did it come across? Uh, you know, was it scary? You know, that kind of thing. And I have to say that I don't know because I'm not a horror fan. Was it the power of suggestion, knowing that it was going to be a horror episode? Um, or am I just a chicken? Let's uh, let's put that on the table real quick here. Were you guys scared at any point in this? I, in this episode? I jumped at all the predictable places. I at jumped all of the predictable places. I think so because the first time that body went across the screen, I jumped. When that guy came crashing through the wall, I came up off my seat, and I knew it was going to happen. I mean, it was obvious it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was the, the second viewing that I didn't jump. At that part, but I still jumped uh, at the guy coming, just coming across the screen, and I knew it was coming. Yeah, the, so I only I, jumped once, and I didn't know that it was coming. When Shepard is at the well and he's checking his instruments, I jumped that at that one point. That was the only time that I did, and I did not oh, see yeah. that one coming. Oh, when the guy and I was like, him? yeah, and I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> I got spooked. All right, you know, because I was I was afraid that this episode was just going to be. So, like, okay, we're doing a horror episode. Cue horror. Cue the monsters. And, <laughs> you know, but it, I was, but a, it I was, was pretty good. I was a yeah. complete and utter chicken. I jumped at every predictable one. There were a couple of jump-worthy moments for me. Uh, when Morellis gets grabbed through the door, that freaked me out. <sighs> yeah. You mean through the, through the window? Wasn't that a window? I thought they broke right through the front door. I think might it was a, a boarded, boarded up. up window. Yeah, boarded yeah. up window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When those two guys crashed through and grabbed him in the middle of a sentence. That that's probably the the scariest moment for me. Yeah, yeah. That was the I only one. That one. That what one about the month? The best view that we got of the creatures with their eyes and their teeth when, when with Beckett when comes right up to Beckett when Beckett sees the fog oozing from his neck for the first time. That mm-hmm. it wasn't just it wasn't that it was it was uh, jump worthy because we got to see him for a long time. It was just 
Todd Masters' makeup effects on on that guy were just really creepy and cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also that sped up the that. camera for that too. Well, see, so he see, moved at an unreal speed. I you know with that Beckett shot, I was I was really disappointed because he was right there and he was on Beckett. Did, were we supposed to believe that he didn't really know that Beckett was there? Because my left. thought was that uh, Beckett was Michael's creature, so he left him alone. Th- that uh, was that was my that thought be, too. That would be an interesting explanation if if that really was the case. That would make a I, lot of sense, and that would add that a lot to Beckett. That would a lot of add a lot to who Beckett is now. Uh, yeah, I thought that that would be a part of the episode, and they never discussed it. I have to agree with you. That was my first thought. I thought, why did he do that? And then I saw when he grabbed the the earpiece when it made noise, and right. I thought that's why. You know, I thought, is it because he's Michael's clone that that's yeah. why he didn't he didn't do any more to him? I really thought Beckett would would be unharmed, and boy, was that not the case. <laughs> well, it seemed yeah, it seemed like like he left because he he lost the sound of him, and then the yeah. the earpiece going off alerted him, and he came running back mm-hmm. to attack him. So there was there were a couple of things in the episode. This is this is my my criticism that I do have of Whispers is that there were a couple of things in the episode that I just don't think were su- explained sufficiently. One was the creature leaving after he was already on top of Beckett. Um, I found he got a, shot. a little bit of suspension of disbelief oh. uh, when he oh. left. Yeah, I, okay, you're right, uh, you're right. Before the radio went off. And then mm-hmm. the second one was was when they had to go out and find uh, Allison Porter, uh, the character played by Nicole DeBoer. Yeah. Uh, when when they got back to the house and she wasn't there for some reason, they never explained what They never explained her why she to, left. To leave to leave the house. I wasn't real satisfied with the opening scene. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the one year ago with the the two yeah, guys. Yeah, the two guys. The only reason I didn't like that is even though uh the mask, you know, dropped in the hallway and the the guy villager gave, you know, an explanation, it still really to me gave no reason for that opening scene. Yeah, I agree. To me, it felt like uh, they were running short on. They, I mean, they were running short on time, and they decided to add that. I felt like it had no impact in the show whatsoever. I never thought of that uh, that scene again. Mm-hmm. You know, if our if our listeners haven't haven't visited already, this episode was written by Joseph Malazzi, who has a blog online, and we'll link to that from the show notes. But uh, Joe goes really, really in depth this week, explaining whispers, and he's got a lot of of uh, deleted scenes and explanations for why things went the way they did and some behind-the-scenes photos. And this is one, this this opening scene, he actually said wasn't in the first draft, but uh, he decided to add it after, uh, I think, the other producers in Sci-Fi Channel suggested this this sort of alternate beat, because it was originally going to open in Atlantis with McKay and Beckett. Hmm. You know, my disappointment was that they showed the creature. I didn't want to see them at all. All I wanted to see was a shadow. Because my mind, in the entire episode, I would have preferred that we not see them at all in terms of like up close, like with Beckett. I did not want to see what they actually looked like. I wanted to see their silhouettes. I wanted to see them moving around like crazy. I did not want to get it in my head as to what they specifically looked like, because that to me is far more scary. As a as a fan, as an occasional fan of horror, you know, that's it's used way too much that we actually see the creatures, you know. Uh, I'm the opposite. I was. I have done here. I wish I would have seen more of them, so I could have understood them more. I didn't like that we we just kept catching glimpses, and that's something that always bugs me in any movie that has a critter. They try to like hold off to the least possible minute to show me the the goober, and it's like, oh, show me the guy already. Yeah. Now the creatures are, are one thing that I really liked about the episode. The fact that not only did Todd Masters and his team do such an awesome job with the look of them. 
but uh, the, the fact that we get a mythology tie-in here, uh, we get a tie-in to Michael's research and his attempt to develop the hybrids, which we've seen as hybrids now since late season four, since uh, I think the Kindred, but now we're starting to, to fill in the pieces of what he was doing in between, mm-hmm. in between episodes like Vengeance in late season three when we first see the... His first attempt at hybrids were these really gigantic, weird creatures. Ugh. And then these guys in this episode seem to be sort of a, a middle point. Mm-hmm. I really like that we're kind of filling in the gaps of what Michael was doing and what took him so long to get to the point of the hybrids that we see now. Who I Even if they were dead ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and I have to okay. agree when when they're going on to say this is something he couldn't control. I mean, it just it, to me it made it you had to see them, you know, because mm-hmm. they're supposed to be the culmination of all these species, and you had to see them a few times. Yeah, yeah. Used they had race teeth, mm-hmm. and Carson Beckett returns in this episode. Yay. Tammy, you're a big Carson Beckett fan. I so she's a Paul McGillian fan. I am a Paul McGillian fan. I have to say, and it it truly is a um, a homage to the man himself because I really wasn't until I met him, hmm. and just meeting him and spending the time with him, he was just natural, and just talking with him and spending that time, that's what made me become a Paul McGillian fan, and I will go out of my way now to watch anything he's in and support well, did, his did career. Did this episode deliver then? You know, it was funny. Um, I even wrote this down to myself because I wanted to remember this. I never realized until this episode how well he fits with the cast, mm. no matter who he's yeah. working with. Uh, with David Hewlett, it was just natural. With Joe Flanagan, it was just natural. Here, he'd never worked with Nicole. It was natural. Yeah, yeah. I was, he's I was just... just impressed. It just meshed. You know, it was funny with David the different moments and how he was able to just kind of tune him out, you know, when he was in his room, you know, he's with Shepard, he walks up, they see the chicks, hey, dude, you know, they do the fist bump. And, you know, he has that moment with him. And then, you know, then he you know meets the girl, he's trying to be suave. And, and he just did everything really well. And he just felt like he'd been there. I mean, like he's there all the time. And it just seemed yeah. like he hadn't been gone. And yeah. it was really Are you disappointed nice. that, that he was written out? Yes, I was now. After this episode, this is the moment that made me disappointed he's been gone. I thought it was a really great episode for him. Not only the the connection to Michael's research and the fact that with the rest of the team gone, he got to be a little bit more front and center than he usually has been. But, uh, you know, all the, the flirty little things with Dr. Porter I thought were really cute. And the fact that Dusty kept mentioning how absolutely obvious it was. <laughs> yeah, so Dusty, helped, Dusty. take the cheese out of it. That she kind of got on my nerves. Let's talk about the team. Dusty got on yeah, your nerves. Yeah, just a little. You know, I mean, it, she she seemed like the – I don't know what it, specifically what it was, but she wasn't allowing anyone to get away with really anything. Uh, Tammy, re- I really want to hear your perspective on the team. Um, now, it's funny that Darren said what he just said about Dusty um, because that's the one thing I, I had to myself was to me that's who brought the cheese Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't well, like what you mean by that. You know you, how you it, it seemed like in, in all the horror movies or the cycle alien comes to mind where you have the one character that's just kind of a goofball mm-hmm. that carries <laughs> the big gun and isn't too smart. Mm-hmm. Blows bubblegum. Yes. And I thought, why? 
you know, here, you know, they had this really great opening scene where the line is, you know, hey, I wanted the best and the brightest. They just turned out to be all girls. And then it just kind of downgraded from there into some stereotypical things. We had the looks. We had the eye rolls. We had, um, uh, I had said to David earlier, the stereotypical of, oh, we get a group of females together. They can't hold it together without having moments. I started seeing that as the episode progressed. You know, little things like that where they didn't seem, they were supposed to be a tight, well-oiled unit. Mm-hmm. And yet some of the, the looks they were giving each other, especially, is it Sergeant Mira? Is that Dusty? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Porter, uh, some of the comments back and forth. I thought they were cute at, at a couple of times. I thought the, the second one in the house was funny mm-hmm. when she was going to go out the door and all that. That one made me laugh. Go check the perimeter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did that. The second time that she said that, I laughed out loud. Yeah, and then that she was, was the thing with the sock on the door. You know, that was something a lot of people <laughs> could identify with and laugh at because, you know, many of us have had roommates. Major Teldy, uh, Dr. Beckett, Dr. Beckett, Major. This is Sergeant Mayra, Dr. Porter, and of course you've already met Captain Vega. I didn't realize you, uh... That my team was a bunch of girls, sir. That's not what I was going to say. But, you know, now that you mention it. Well, I was told to pick the best and the brightest. Funny how that worked out. Yeah. Funny. Shall we? Guy. Yes. I have to say that uh, I liked the, the leader. I thought she was right spot on for who she needed to be in character. Uh, Vega. I was uh, the leader sure. is uh, Major Ann Teldy yeah. by Christina Cox. Thank you. Oh, that's uh, right. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Vega. Okay. She was spot on. I mean, she seemed to be, you know, she had the character down, and it was, to me, that one, that's who all of them should have been in some respect. And I and with Porter, to me, she had, she would have an identity, but then lose it. Hmm. It's like, you know, in one, one moment, she's the doctor, and then... The next, she's this scared person in, in a house going, no, we're under orders. We have to stay here. And then the next thing, she's all gung-ho up there with the, you know, we have, I want to shoot. I want to shoot. It's like, well, which are you? That's interesting. DeBoer brought an innocence to that team, I thought. You know, that um, – mm-hmm. and a little inexperienced, yeah. Oh, okay, a lot inexperienced. But, you know, I, I loved <laughs> that, that flavor that, that she added to that team. And to me, you know, these, these four women, you know, going out on missions, a couple of them real hotheads, like one of them said, you know, the Ori, <laughs> since the Ori's <laughs> butt got kicked, Milky Way hasn't been the same. You know, I love that reference. But, you know, it, it, to me, if, if these four women were together out on missions like this, they would be very protective of one another. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And Tammy, I, I, was, I was wanting to ask you, um, do you think a woman writer could have written these characters better? Yes, I really do, only for the fact that if a woman's secure in herself, she's not going to be – we don't fall into that same pattern. We, we praise other women. We support them to excel. We want them to excel. Women that are insecure or that have you – know, and I don't want to I don't want to say this too general because I don't want to offend anybody. But when you have that and you have a tendency to downgrade other women or make – you know, disparaging comments. A lot of times you do need to look in the mirror and say, you know, is this something I don't like about myself that I'm calling on this other girl? Mm. You know, and as you get older, 
you start realizing that about yourself. It's like, you know what, I'm calling her on this and that's something I don't like about me. And guys have a different perspective. When men write women, they have a totally different idea of who we are. I would have loved to have seen Carl Binder write a draft of this episode. Because Carl, I think Carl can write women. And let's face it, I mean, the, the Stargate writing team has, by and large, over the course of its history, been a bit of a boys club. That it has. That it has. What was it, uh, Amanda tapping and told them, just write a man and I'll bring the female to it. That's exactly right. That's exactly what she said. Hmm. And wasn't she right? Yes. I think whenever they by let her do that. Woman, those traits would come through. I really liked having the opportunity to see the first all-woman team in Stargate history. I thought it was a good idea, especially because this episode is so different in other respects. Uh, it was it was a nice fit. But most of the most of the women, other than Porter, I think, really could have been interchangeable with male actors. Is, is, that, a, is that a compliment or a criticism? I don't know if it's a compliment or a criticism. I think it's it's just sort of a statement of the way they were written. They weren't written or acted necessarily to be particularly distinctly female and maybe i'm not the best person to to ask what does it mean to be distinctly female but, uh, <laughs> you know just looking at the what they had to do in the episode and and the lines of dialogue that they were given for the most part other than some of dusty's teasing uh, i think the character could have been a, a guy just as easily well it, i mean it's not like they're gonna all talk about you know you know we're we're four girls and we're, we're we've been together long enough now that our, our periods all happen at the same time of the month oh, now geez. I mean, oh let's not go it, there please not David, did you no, have to do that let's, let's not, go that's with... not what they're going to talk about you know yeah, they're, could, they're could we go the other direction <laughs> no seriously seriously well they're not, not going to the... talk about hair and nails <laughs> Right. Okay. Right. But yet, but, I do understand what you're, what Darren's saying, and I have to agree. But I think you know, I'm going to look at that as a compliment because this is the military, and they don't want to be, you know, they really don't want to be seen as different. Yeah. Take Teldy for example, the the team commander. I thought that she was very well portrayed as as a very intelligent and tough and uh, by the regs sort of officer, just like. Uh, a male or a female would want want to portray that team leader character. I love and Christina I, Cox. Well, and I think that that was that was what I expected when I heard all female team. I expected to see a team like that. Teldy being the way she was, Vega being the way she was. Although I wasn't real impressed with the attitude when they were out there and she was turned her back right before she was killed. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of like an out of character moment to, in order to further the plot. Yeah, I agree. But that was more what I was expecting because in the end, you know, even Dusty, you know, she had some expertise, but she just had an attitude. Now, if they would have maybe played that a little bit differently and to me not so – I guess it was cliche. I thought of it as horror movie cliche that you've got to have that wisecracker. Mm -hmm. But I expected to see that more – a little more tough and ready to show that the females were going to be that. And I would have loved to see that team again. I would love to see these these gals again, and not because I'm a man, not because that you know I think mm-hmm. that they're cute, but I think that <laughs> I think we could really use some more of that. I yeah. frankly yeah. I would be happy with seeing any other off world teams because it always <laughs> in, the benefit of SG one was that you knew that there was SG thirteen and SG fourteen floating around out there. Shepherd's team has never been given an identity in terms of what it's called, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't really know how many units are out there, and it's nice to see this female unit being one of them. You know, I really like that. Would I want the women to come to my rescue? Heck yes. <laughs> well, one of the things that goes along with any horror movie or horror episode in this case is the constantly nagging question of who is going to get offed. 
who is going to still be alive by the end of the episode and who is going to get killed. Are we surprised only one of these chicks got offed? I think Joe was really building up the fact that Alicia Vega, um, played by Leela Savasta, he was really happy that she was coming over, and then he knocked her off in the second episode that she appeared. That was kind of surprising to me, frankly. Frankly, um, it made me mad, because I've been really excited about about Captain Vega since the first spoilers hit the web about her. I thought she was going to be bigger than she was, and this was, this was, I think, probably one of the Stargate producers' first efforts at foilers putting out misleading information. They talked about Captain Vega as maybe being the next Lorne, and they were going to develop her a little bit, and she was going to be around for a while. But as it turns out, that's exactly the reason why they decided to kill her, was because it would be the least expected. And I didn't expect well, her to die. I ex- Because of that, I expected her to be around for a while. And I was really excited about learning more about her character, and she had some personal development, some character development scenes in the season premiere that were evidently cut for time. Uh, that I read in in the script and the casting sides um, that I think really fleshed out her character in what would have been an interesting way. So I was kind of mad to see her go. Well, maybe you'll get lucky in Michael Cloner. <laughs> now, well, I have to say, um, to surprise you both, I am probably the one that is, I'm the non-Nicole fan. Oh, you yeah. don't care for Nicole DeBoer? No, I do not. So I was um, I was shocked to see Vega go and Porter stay. Because, you know, I figured that they would go for Porter, being that she was, you know, doing the whole thing with Beckett. and yeah, so I, They were developing the little flirty romance. Mm-hmm. So I expected her to go because it, would, it was predictable. But then again, I didn't realize Vega was in her second episode already. I thought that was the first one, so show you how much I pay attention one time. Well, yeah, and that's that's the she's she's got this little bit more than a blink and you'll miss her appearance in Search and Rescue, and uh, she had a lot more originally. She had a big conversation with Carter about having just gotten to Atlantis, and uh, she hasn't been assigned to a team yet. And it's been a week, and she wants to get out there. So that rescue mission where she gets to shoot down the wraith dart in Search and Rescue was was her first foray out into the Pegasus Galaxy. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I met with Nicole at Comic-Con, I took a stance and said, so you survive at the end of the episode. And she kind of like darted her eyes. And I and I stood my ground. And in the interview, I say, so you survive at the end of the episode. And I had no idea. And I was praying. I was like, she had better not die. Otherwise, I'm going to have to make a retraction. Oh, and boy, she didn't. Uh-huh. Well, I was bummed. No offense to Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it's a, I think that's a testament to Joe Malazzi and to the, the producers that they didn't go with, with the predictable thing, build up the love interest for Beckett and then have her get killed. Well, you figure they do it to all the other ones, you know. It's like, you know, <laughs> come on, go with the cliche once in a great while that we expect. No, that's not, I don't mean that bad. But I, you definitely expected the villager to get killed. I expected Dusty, you know, the wisecracking one to get killed too. I expected her to get killed. Mainly, I think probably I expected Dusty to get killed because I just watched Alien 2 recently, and that (laughs) character had a a nice, gruesome death. (laughs) I found Dusty to be charming, but a little bit over the top, so I was actually kind of looking forward to her dying. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about, aliens? Aliens. What do you you mean? The character in Aliens that was a wisecracker. Oh, you're Vasquez. Yeah, uh, I don't know everyone his name. Died. Everyone died. Bill Paxson's character. Oh, Bill Paxson's character. Ah, okay. I don't know why, but I associate with Dusty with Bill Paxson's character in Aliens. Game over, man. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right, guys, what's your overall grade for this episode? Did you like it? 
I enjoyed it overall, personally. I thought, like you said, I it was a new concept for them, which I was just ecstatic to see that. I'm glad that they're testing new things. Um, I hope they do not go this direction for the movie, um, but I'm glad that they're trying some new things. I would have to give it an 8 out of 10, 7.5, 8 out of 10. Um, this episode is the reason that I am often disappointed that Atlantis got axed because when it comes down to the movies, you have to prioritize your your focus and these gals probably will not be a priority because I would have loved to have seen them again. Oh, you want to – oh, by the way, my grade was B+. plus. <laughs> I don't do the other. He said grade. He didn't ask me for a number, damn it. <laughs> you know, because I'm not a fan of the horror genre, I actually went into Whispers not expecting to like it much at all. I expected – some pseudo-scary moments and a bit of a variant from the Stargate formula that I know yeah. of. Yeah, and, very cliche. Uh, mm-hmm. More cliches. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought they did a fantastic job making an episode that looks and feels different. You know, getting Beckett in there and, and not necessarily crowding the field with the rest of the team, but bringing the new team, the girl team. And the fog and, and, and the fact that they did a horror episode. I just liked it because it was different. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with you on that. I liked how they um, bookmarked – or bookmarked. What do I want to say? Um, bookended the beginning and the end with the little scene with uh, in Beckett's room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cute. I, that was I, cute. I, I thought it was – you know, it was nice to have David in there to add just that little bit of humor that we're always used to that made – you know, that kind of gave you a touch of the Stargate you know and love. Listen to mail. We have more mail this week on Whispers and, of course, on the cancellation of Stargate Atlantis, which is big news we talked about all last week. Uh, So let's jump right in. First, let's look at Whispers. Rock from Slovenia writes, The idea of the creatures is way too similar to the ones from the film Descent. That was my first impression when I saw the hybrids, but the female team was great, and so was the horror part. Never seen Descent. I cannot comment. Neither have I. Mac Jackson writes, I think Stargate does an excellent job doing horror episodes and even some tense moments in general. They set a certain mood and pace that has me at the edge of my seat. Replicators still freak me out. The sound of the metallic walk gives me the chills. And on the topic of last week's conversation about the cancellation of Stargate Atlantis and the green light for Universe, Mary writes, I'm optimistic about Stargate Universe. I don't think SGU has a great story idea but I don't watch the Stargates primarily for the story, but for the characters. And the casting has been remarkably good on both shows, so I'm positive that the new team will be equally interesting, especially if the show is trying to be more character-focused. It killed me that SGA was cancelled, but I'm trying to maintain an objective view for Universe. Hmm, that's nice. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective, Barry. Critter says, I love your podcasts, but I was a bit disappointed in your podcast this time, meaning episode 9, because your less than enthusiastic support for Atlantis really shone through in your comments. We are mourning the loss of a beloved friend, but you acted like a parent saying to a child who has just lost his beloved dog, don't be sad, we'll get you a new puppy tomorrow. You could have talked about the Save Atlantis campaigns, the thousands of petitions, SIGs, and sending in lemons, even if you don't think they would work. You both seemed almost as gleeful as Brad Wright did in his interview to move on past Atlantis and get to the good stuff. I don't think Brad was gleeful in his uh, in his comments. I think he definitely has a special place in his heart for Atlantis, and so do I. But I'm also very interested in what Universe will bring to the table. 
Yeah, this was a difficult conversation for us to jump into because we are really excited about Universe, but Atlantis, the, the cancellation is still fresh and it still stings. Everyone has different opinions about the cancellation. You know, some people are happy about it. Some people hate it. And some people are just willing to put up with it and be thankful that we have movies. And um, that's certainly where I stand. Darren? I think we definitely walk the line here between wanting to put a, put a positive face on things and wanting to get our opinions out there and, and share our opinions. And this really, all that it comes down to is our opinions in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um, we we are both sad to see Atlantis go, but as I think some fans wrote in in our listener mail last week, it's you're sad to see it go, but you're also hopeful and you're optimistic about what's coming to the franchise in the future. Mm-hmm. So if if anything, I hope that that comes across, that, that this show has had a great run and we're sad to see it go, but I'm ready. I'm ready for what's next. I also don't want this podcast to seem like the official Stargate podcast, you know, or anything like that. You know, I don't think that we have the right to say that we are. I don't think that fans should expect that we should be that. So it's not always going to be a sunny, pretty place to play for all Stargate fans. You know, I want to sometimes get into the mud and get into the grit, you know, because not everything's always perfect and happy and shiny. You know, it's just unrealistic. And, you know, I'm I love Stargate and I love all of it. And, you know, I'm willing to fight for it. Gosh darn it. Well, that's a good point because, you know, at GateWorld, the site is, is big enough and popular enough that we have a, a really strong relationship with the producers. But the downside of that is that some fans occasionally will criticize us as being in the producers' pockets, as, as not being willing to say anything negative about Stargate, even when it needs to be said. And these podcasts are meant to be very editorial in nature. They're meant to be very opinion-based. So here, more than anywhere else... I want I want to say what's on our minds. Uh, yeah. And Stargate Atlantis, uh, again, I, I said it last week, it's one of my favorite shows for a lot of good reasons, but I don't think it's a perfect show. Mm-mm. Neither do I. And I'm hoping that this, this uh, transformation into movies will help it along. Yeah, and, and we should emphasize right along with Critter, there are a lot of fans out there who are working on uh, expressing their disappointment with the cancellation, even if you think that it's it's not going to change anyone's mind and get a sixth season. There are a lot of people out there who at least want their voices to be heard, who are circulating online petitions and who are sending lemons in to, to the producers in the network. Lemons, of course, being being uh, Rodney McKay's kryptonite. And yes. So th- those are out there, and, and um, we hope that people will continue to use GateWorld Forum and call in and use this podcast as as a way to get their opinions heard and to express their disappointment. Speaking of call-ins, don't we have a couple for this week? We do. Let's listen to our first voicemail. Hi, this is Sammy Lady. I'm from Buckeye, Arizona in America. I'm calling regarding the cancellation of the Stargate Atlantis series. I was under the assumption that there was an ironclad contract till 2010. I'm not sure how true this is because I heard it through another source. But I'm, I would, wouldn't say livid, but I'm quite upset about the cancellation. And I was wondering, if someone could answer my question, I'd appreciate it. Was there actually a contract till 2010? Thank you very much for listening to my comment, and I hope to see more Atlantis movies on the way. Sammy Lady asks if, if Stargate Atlantis didn't have an ironclad contract to go through 2010, which would be season six. And I... I've thought about this, and I think that where it goes back to is actually my first interview with Tori Higginson back in 2004 when the show was getting going. 
uh, I asked her about their contracts, and she told me that, that she and some of the other principals had signed six-year contracts to begin with, which 2004, that would put you to 2010. That's a contractual issue. Uh, obviously, having the actors and the producers sign contracts for six years does not mean that the show is going to get renewed for six years. Mm -mm. Um, so there is, there's no such thing as an ironclad contract. And even when you have a contract, often it will have escape clauses, which we found out with Sci-Fi Channel in, uh, with Farscape. Farscape was contracted for season four and five. And close to the end of season four, uh, we found out that season five was axed because there was an escape clause in the contract. So I think that's where that rumor comes from. It can also be helpful, you know, because, I mean, like Amanda Tapping was uh, agreed to two seasons of SG-1, you know, 10 and 11. She signed that contract just before season 10, and they decided to exercise that contract for Atlantis season 3 or 4. And, you know, when, when Tori gets written off the show and has signed a six-year contract, we obviously don't know the legal language, but I assume that there is some sort of compensation or buyout for the rest of that contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there would have to be because she's basically putting her, <laughs> her career on hold or everything else. Well, here's our second voicemail. This is Deborah from Virginia. I'm calling in reference to the podcast number eight, primarily calling about the cancellation, but I would like to uh, give everybody a pat on the back for uh, the recent podcast, especially uh, the last one concerning the shrine and some of the other information you've provided. In reference to the cancellation, of course, I'm saddened by it. I'm also angry by it. Uh, I appreciate the fact that economics does drive the series and the franchise, I just feel that uh, the situation did not really warrant the cancellation of a successful show that still has another year or two at least to offer something to the fans in exchange for a movie with a possibility of other movies to follow. I am happy to see that this franchise is continuing on with Stargate Universe. Uh, there have been comments made about uh, seeking a younger audience, which of course doesn't sit well for those of us that are over the age of 25. Hopefully, the powers that be will reconsider their decision in the future. If not, I'll be along for the ride of the franchise. Thank you for this forum, and have a good day. This week's listener question, it's Taylor's turn to bat in this week's new episode, The Queen, which airs Friday on the Sci-Fi Channel. Tell us what you think of Taylor's character and how she has been used, or maybe you think underused, in the past four-plus years. Coming up on the podcast, we're talking about The Queen on September 16th, followed by Tracker on the 23rd. We'll wrap up the month of September with part one of the mid-season two-parter, First Contact. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Just call the GateWorld Podcast hotline at 616-712-1647 or you can post on the podcast feedback thread over at GateWorld Forum. In this episode, David and I were joined by GateWorld Forum moderator Tammy Farrar to talk about whispers. We also previewed our new interview with David Nickel, and for links to everything we talked about today, go to GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 10 show notes. From GateWorld, this is Darren Sumner. This is David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Game over, man. <laughs> <laughs>